Your browser betrays you, even more so if you operate undercover online. It helps third parties identify and track you. To solve this, Authenticate built Silo Research Toolbox, the cloud-based research browser. With Silo Research Toolbox, OSINT analysts can spoof location, IP, device, and language. Cyber investigators can click any link, open any doc, and save any file without risk. Law enforcement officers can navigate the dark web safely and easily. Ask about a free trial at info.authentic.com forward slash FNN. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Tom Kay, Federal Program Manager from a company called Authenticate. Now, uh, kind of a tough name there, Tom. Why don't you tell us how that's spelled so our listeners know. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Authenticate would be spelled A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I- C and the number eight. And the numeral eight. Good. That's good to know. I just, uh, kind of, you know, radio guy, my background, people are listening to this and they may want to write it down or jot it down here. Um, we're going to do a series of podcast interviews with Tom, and we're going to talk about Authenticate, and we're going to talk about uh, different aspects of cybersecurity. One aspect we're going to delve into is the uh, the innocent-sounding web browser. Everyone knows what web browsers are. They probably use them every day. And we're going to talk about some of the weaknesses of web browsers and, and how maybe our federal audience can uh, remediate or remedy some of these issues with web browsers. And, and you know, it dawned on me that you know there are people who are listening to this that have, have no idea of where browsers came from or what they exactly do or, or whether they're good or bad or if that's just a, a, a topic not even worth considering in the world of cybersecurity. And, and that's why we brought you in here. Tom, could you give us a little about your background before we jump into this discussion, please? Sure, John. Um, about a 25-year um, veteran of uh, research assistance in, um, in open source intelligence and uh, geospatial technologies. So a pretty good background for what we're discussing today. Absolutely. Good, good, good. So let's go back in time, take that uh, time machine back to 1995 where uh, everything on the internet was text-based. And my kids don't believe it. I don't know if you believe it, but if you wanted to FTP something, it was a text-based file right. transfer protocol. You make one mistake, it screwed up completely. And some revolutionary guy came up and said, hey, let's start doing some graphical interfaces. And we get our first uh, graphical browser, I think mid-90s, is that right? Yes, I believe in, it was uh, back in college, uh, early 90s, I had used a browser called Mosaic. And that oh, was we remember that, yeah. It was developed at the University of Illinois. And a lot of the grad students had moved on to uh, form their own companies. And one of those companies, as you can recall, was Netscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't re- remember Netscape, they were the ones that filled your mailboxes with all the CDs back in the mid-90s. Now, people don't realize this, but it used to be a text-based internet, and then the web-based internet would give you some access. But if you wanted to use a browser, you'd have to pay money, believe it or not, to use the Netscape browser. Yes, it's true, ladies and gentlemen. And you remember it, Tom. Absolutely. And so we have a situation where the internet becomes more graphical. You have to pay to use a browser. And where we go from there? Well, I think what had happened was uh, people recognized that, um, you know, Microsoft came out with their new operating system, and they said, we're going to bundle our browser, Internet Explorer, with our operating system. So Netscape really didn't have a chance. Um, And uh, Microsoft went on to be the market share leader for several years until Firefox came out and then ultimately Chrome. And I believe it was in uh, 2008 when Google released Chrome. And then from the last uh, couple of years, we're recognizing that Chrome is the market leader with about 60% share of the market right now. 
So I just want to recapitulate here. So initially, the browser had to pay for it. Correct. And then it made a transition where Microsoft said, hey, we're going to beat you at your own game. We're going to give you a browser for free called the Internet Explorer, which is kind of a slowish type of browser. Other companies came in and said, hey, you know, we can beat that, and we're going to give you the browser for free again. It's free, Tom. This is a free browser, a free browser. What could possibly go wrong with free? <laughs> well, John, as you know, if uh, the product is free, then maybe you are the product. Exactly. Now, that's what you should write down if you take away anything from this conversation is that, you know, this browser in front of you, I call it being porous. It's a very porous tool. It'll, it'll show everything that you're doing to many different people. Absolutely. A lot I, of I, I think uh, one way to, to, to frame this is, is with, with, with cookies and, and putting cookies on your machine. And maybe you could tell us exactly how that all started and why they even wanted to do that. Well, what we should probably talk about is uh, the the concept of targeted advertising. Okay. Targeted advertising is how these companies typically uh, generate their revenue. And they do it in uh, three different ways. They do it using demographics, uh, psychographic information, and then finally uh, behavior. Um, if, we, if you want to talk about demographics, these are things considered like race, uh, economic status, the sex, age. Based on your geographic location, this information is available to everybody through the Census Bureau. Uh, psychographic information, this is, talks about your impulsiveness, you know, how, how, uh, how your decisions are made when you're making purchases online, the values that you have, what kind of personality, your attitudes and opinions towards things. And then finally, uh, the behavioral profile that is built uh, against you, which is your browsing and purchasing history. These all can be monitored by different means, but the most popular mean is uh, by the browser cookie. So what happens is you go home and you innocently uh, say, I'm looking to buy a Honda Accord. And uh, uh, let's say Tom's Honda on <laughs> yes. Chantilly there puts a cookie on your browser. And all of a sudden for the next two weeks, you see advertisements for Honda's browsers all, Honda, all over the place. Yeah, in addition to that, you know, it's going to be more of a contextual advertising as well. So you're going to start to see, eh, three months later, Tom probably needs an oil change. So you're going to start to see coupons appearing on your web pages that you visit. You're going to start to see advertisement for tires or other maintenance things that, based on your browsing history and your income level, it will show you things that you could potentially afford. No, I have three kids who are grown, and they would use the word creepy to describe some of that yeah, activity, wouldn't they? Absolutely. It, it is very intrusive, but, you know, what we're noticing is not many people seem to care that much about that, and um, that could be a problem. Now, it's one thing if, uh, let's say, um, you are uh, working as an architect and you go home at night and you're trying to buy tires for your car and you're searching, and, and that's kind of a, an innocent environment, and, and you may or may not realize that your browser is leaky and, and, and all kinds of information about you is being exposed, but what if – you're in a position where you're working for a secure agency. Uh, do the people working agencies understand some of these basic concepts of, of the history of the browser and how the browser is tracking you so carefully? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think so. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the same mechanisms that we're talking about today could be used against uh, a lot of the members of the, uh, the community, uh, specifically in the federal community. Um, the, the way that browsers typically um, – see into your habits are, like I had mentioned, through cookies, but also there are things that you, you can do to help mitigate that. But there are sometimes, there's nothing that you can do. There are things that are called ever cookies or super cookies. 
that are not saved in your browser but are actually saved in your local hard drive. And even if you go into these specific modes that allow you to browse privately, you're still going to have to deal with these cookies that are persistent. If you talk to a uh, experienced software developer, they'll talk about years ago with Unix and how the term cookie actually came about. It was a rather innocuous term back then days with Unix programming. Yes. It would allow the Unix uh, to exchange information quicker and easier for you. And that got transformed into a marketing cookie, got transformed into a super cookie. And even your internet service provider could be cooking cookies on your machine to see what your browsing habits are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because of, we, we recognize that cookies are out there and um, – uh, the the actual websites that place these cookies on your machines, they know that they exist. They know that you know that they exist. So they're using other means uh, to uh, target you. Some of those would be classified under something we call browser fingerprinting. And uh, browser fingerprinting is other ways to determine um, who you are. These could be things like uh, a user agent string, which is what kind of operating system are you using? What kind of browser are you using? Uh, what plugins do you have? What time zone are you in? Um, what is the screen size? What language do you speak? And they can determine that by the keyboard that you're using. What type of fonts do you have on your machine? And also one of the most sophisticated methods they use is something called canvas fingerprinting, where they actually will have your machine draw an image, and then based on how long it took for you to draw that image, they could determine what kind of graphics card that you have. So it's a very, a, a very intrusive way for them to track you and isolate your machine from others. And so um, what it means is that it can uh, derive profiles on buying Absolutely. activity. It can derive profiles on individuals' search habits, whether they work for Ford Motor Company or whether they work for the intelligence community. Yeah, absolutely. And people sometimes think a good way to mitigate this is if they go into something called incognito mode, like on the Chrome browser or private browsing. The thing about that is that, yes, it does remove the cookies from your machine, but it doesn't remove the super cookies or the ever cookie. Plus, if your browser crashes in the middle of a session, they're never deleted. Moreover, your ISP, your internet service provider, will also be able to see what websites you're visiting, and also your employee. And then finally, one of the most um, intrusive things that it does not protect you against is your location. Your, I, your ISP uh, and other uh, websites will still see your IP address, which is, as you know, John, your IP address is essentially your physical location. Although it may not be as accurate as people think, it still puts you in the same zip code. And once they know your zip code, then they can get demographics of the area. And just one piece of information like that is not, you know, it's not going to be determinant. However, two or three pieces get you closer. Absolutely. If you have 10 or 15 pieces, all of a sudden you have that puzzle and, and the puzzle pieces are coming together, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, in aggregate, they can build a nice dossier on each individual and then target you for their product. I think what's, what's so fascinating is that when you uh, read articles about cybersecurity, you go to the RSA conference or whatever they have in town here, people talk about encryption, they talk about zero trust, they talk about app security, but they never even think about where it all starts is with the browser right in front of them. It's like, you know, wait a minute, you're, you're using something that's insecure to access, you know, your secure uh, uh, phylo transfer protocol or something. Sure. 
Yeah, the, the, the web browser is the number one attack vector used by malicious actors to, uh, to dump their payload on your endpoint or also known as your computer. Now, would you uh, – how many people get that answer on Jeopardy? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> you may get it, <laughs> right. but how many people realize that? Yeah, unfortunately, I think uh, the big tech companies do a pretty good job of uh, hiding their true intent with these web browsers. When it comes to a company like uh, Facebook – a marketing company can put a pixel on their website. So let's say we have johnsdonuts.com. Mm -hmm. So I can put a pixel on there, and then when little Tom goes over, look at my donuts, bang, I'm going to put a cookie on your site. Mm -hmm. What I can do is I can put ads up at the next four or five places you go to. So the next site you go to, you're going to get tickets to go to St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I can have an ad pop up and say, and don't forget, John's Donuts are here. That's right. And so something really simple like that, you don't realize that, Everything you do on the internet is being tracked and it's being stored because storage is so cheap nowadays. It's being stored and profiles are being generated on a lot of different individuals. Some individuals may not realize they have a profile generated on themselves. Okay, Tom, we're having a nice conversation at a coffee shop. We're talking about the history of web browsers. We're putting everyone to sleep. We're talking about tracking and cookies <laughs> and people thinking about cookies with their coffee. And no, no, it's a tracking tool. So so the browser really is a tracking tool. And so the people who are listening, that are in the federal government, they're saying, well, so what? What's the big deal here? Why, why should I be concerned? I mean, why should they be? Everyone else is doing it. Why should they be concerned, Tom? That's What's the great, big deal? That's a great question. Well, they should be concerned because that same – uh, business model, that tracking mechanisms that are being used by the advertising agencies have been weaponized by a lot of our adversaries. A lot of foreign governments are using that to track individuals. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a famous uh, campaign called Witch Coven. It was an uh, advanced persistent threat believed to be carried out by the Russians. They had isolated uh, several European computers belonging to the State Department and once they recognized and fingerprinted these individual machines, they would be able to see exactly what type of software that they were using. So they set something up, John, called a watering hole. And what a watering hole is is essentially a place where that's uh, frequently visited by people and using the, uh, the, the similar interests. They set up malware so the next time these individuals went to these websites – they would get infected with malware, malware that was specifically designed for the software on their machines because their browser betrayed them and gave up all the information about their configuration. It's like a custom-made suit or a bespoke suit. It's that they know exactly yes. how to attack you. You know exactly what your weaknesses are. Absolutely. And when you and you have uh, antiviral software on your machine, which is you know it's a prudent approach, of course, but understand that it's only as good as the defined viruses that are out there. So if an adversary wanted to create something specifically for you based on the profile and the fingerprint of your machine, they're going to create something very unique. About three or four minutes ago, you talked about the State Department. Now, now this wasn't arbitrarily done. I mean, the question is, how can a malicious actor sitting in Romania figure out that the computer is actually part of the State Department? But many times, the people – I'm just arbitrarily stating the State Department. Sure. Let's say – how can they determine that that is the State Department or an employee for the State Department or a contractor for the State Department? Well, that's a, that's a great question. There, there are many different ways, but I'd, like you said before, in aggregate, using all of the information that we've learned, you could then narrow it down to individuals in these uh, isolated agencies. Uh, specifically, you know, the IP address and the IP address of these locations typically 
are pretty good to get a, a, an understanding of where they're coming from. As you know, we say in geography, John, you know, uh, the first rule is everything's related, but nearer things are more related than distant things. So once you uh, have a good idea of where somebody is, you can then associate them with all of the other factors. I have read repeatedly that phishing is the number one attack vector. Is phishing part and parcel of a web, web-based, browser-based attack, or is that separate completely? No, that, 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 that's another great question. See, uh, phishing obviously is done through uh, email. And email today, most everybody uses their browsers to access their, their Oh, email. that's right. I never thought of the obvious yeah. there, isn't it? So specifically, once you, you are um, a victim of a phishing attack, what you'll get is a hyperlink. And when people click on the hyperlink, obviously, it unleashes all kinds of malware and other, uh, other uh, undesirable effects. Hmm. And so one could argue that genus species family, you can say, well, phishing may be the number one attack vector. However, if you view it, it could be part or subset of the browser. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, absolutely. Huh. And so uh, would using service like Gmail be as risky as uh, uh, or, or, sh- or should they avoid a product like Gmail for security purposes? Um, no, I, I, I don't think um, any type of email service is um, is protected against uh, any of the, uh, the phishing expeditions that are out there. So can a product like uh, uh, an antivirus is not going to help with phishing at all? It's got nothing to do with it? No. It's not. So when it comes to uh, the federal user itself, let's go back to our listeners here. You're at the sure. State Department. You think you may need to be vulnerable. But what, what about this contractor situation? So if I, John Gilroy, I'm a contractor mm-hmm. for the State Department, and I go in there three or four days a week, and I go back to my office, and I'm helping them with a specific product. Let's say I'm helping them with making a transition to the cloud or something because of my unique skill set. Can just the innocent contractor like me walk in and, 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 and present a, a – an attack surface to the State Department that wasn't there before? Yeah, what, 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 what we see recently is a, a lot of uh, uh, federal and military contractors are, uh, are having cybersecurity incidents based on our adversaries recognizing that they have contracts with the government. And they should have the same type of security protocols in place uh, to prevent them from uh, leaking valuable information about their programs. So what you can say is that if someone is geographically near the State Department, they can almost target that with combined with their IP address and other behavior. And so they can say, well, there's someone down there who's probably a contractor down there in Foggy Bottom, and he's probably working in this building, and chances are he's not an attorney in Detroit. Chances are he's not a, a car wash owner in San Francisco, but he's – might be a contractor, might be something to look into. I think it's safe to say a lot of the uh, cyber incidents and, and phishing and catfishing uh, uh, attempts have uh, have a lot to do with geography, specifically in the Washington, D.C. area. They know if they throw out a large net, they're going to ultimately uh, catch the, the fish that they want. So is the, is the answer to be uh, more judicious about uh, using your browser? Is the answer to take and, and even considering – what, what you've told me is incognito. It doesn't do much at all. No, it, it really doesn't. And uh, there's also an, another feature called do not track that doesn't seem to work as well either. The do not track was a mechanism that the, uh, the browser uh, companies came out to, to hopefully get websites – not to track them, but unlike the do not call list, there is no federal or law or policy that governs that. So most websites don't even um, honor that 
And as a matter of fact, I believe in the most recent version of uh, Safari, which is uh, Apple's web browser, they remove that because they think that that's another way for people to fingerprint you. Hmm. Because if you've got that turned on or turned off, rather, that's just another uh, way that they can identify who you are. Well, Tom, we started talking off about the 1995s and original browsers and Netscape and Mm -hmm. Internet Explorer, and now we have Chrome and all kinds of offerings here. So uh, from the perspective of a federal IT professional, you're sitting over at Interior, they're sitting over at State Department, maybe in the DOD somewhere, and uh, they're listening to this conversation. They're hitting themselves in the forehead going, well, I didn't, I didn't realize my browser was giving me that kind of information because they may be, uh, I'll use a big fancy word called you know, an innocuous search. They may be out searching mm-hmm. for a, a piece of electronics for the Air Force, okay? Right. You could be a contractor, and I have to get some, main, I have to get some wiring for um, a plane in Utah, and they search for it. And, and they may not realize that whatever product they're searching for can be tracked, and people can profile them as a purchaser for the Air Force for this particular product, which could lead into – so what kind of options? does this person have who's, who's, who's you know, maybe a, a, a buyer for the Air Force? That's a, that's a great scenario. And, uh, well, step one, stop using commercial browsers. You know, uh, turn off Chrome, turn off Internet Explorer, turn off Firefox. Um, with all the mechanisms that they have inside of them, they could track you. Um, and some people may say, well, what about a VPN? Well, a VPN is actually a, a decent way to obfuscate your location. But it doesn't protect you from malware that could be ultimately delivered to your endpoint. Um, what I suggest people use is consider using something called a cloud browser. What a cloud browser is, is a browser that exists on a server, uh, not at your location, out in the cloud. And what you're receiving from that browser is an, an encrypted display of your session. So you could click on virtually anything that you would want, and none of the malware or none of the executable code would be uh, delivered to your endpoint and is all done on the servers in the cloud. Let's go back to this VPN. Now, I'm pretty sure VPNs are bulletproof. And you all heard about, you know, remote access going through a VPN. Sure. It's it's not going to get – but I think the problem with the VPN is that you could rem- – so if you're on vacation remotely accessing mm-hmm. from Colorado going into the State Department or something, and you could have that secure connection, however, that can still work with – Browsers can detect where you're going even through a VPN, can't they? Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the, the network is the only thing that's obfuscated. But all of the things that we had discussed earlier about your behavioral, um, um, all of the, the, the behaviors that you do is still going to be tracked. And they're going to be using all of the information that they have about your browser that you're using and the fingerprinting aspects of it, even from screen size to keyboard and fonts that you have on your machine. So it's prudent to use a VPN. However, it could be misleading as far as computer security goes. Absolutely. And I would think that if a VPN leads into a network that's insecure, all of a sudden it yeah. it, it, it lulls you into this false sense of security. So I'm going to VPN in and I'll be fine. They're still tracking everything Correct. you're doing when you're trying to buy that electronic park for the federal government. Correct. A VPN is not a panacea. A VPN, it leads you into a, a false sense of security. And all of the uh, the executable code that exists on that uh, on that website that you're visiting still is uh, is delivered to your computer. Okay, so someone's listening to this uh, interview and they're working over at HHS, and it finally dawns on them that their browser is porous and leaking information about them, and people can track them, and they're vulnerable. And so one solution is VPN. Well, I think we destroyed that as VPN doesn't. Uh, 
prevent any uh, cookies from being placed on you and tracking you there. So another solution is something called cloud browsing. So how do you do cloud browsing? What's that all about? Well, my company, Authenticate, offers a cloud browser called Silo. And what Silo is is exactly as we discussed. It is a browser that exists on a server remote from your location that allows you to browse the Internet worry-free. So it's kind of like if you're uh, if you're cooking outside and trying to pick up that piece of steak with your fingers, you're going to get burned. If you use tongs, you're not going to get burned. And so instead of actually doing the browsing, you use uh, software to take and have another location, another company do the browsing for you so it acts as an intermediary. It, it blocks that, that pain point. Just like Netflix will play a movie for you and broadcast the actual image of that movie, that's what we do at Authenticate. We, we host the browser on our servers, and what you see is an encrypted display of your session. And so if something's going to be intact, it's going to be attacked at your company's site. Is that right? Correct. And these browsers are created and destroyed instantly. So once you fire up a brand new uh, a browser session, it's like it's the first time you've ever been on the internet. And so back years ago when they introduced virtualization, people really caught on what a virtual server is. It kind of spun up and spun down. And so what you're saying is that your company can provide a virtual browser that can block or protect you from malicious code following and tracking you because it's going to be, it's going to disappear right after the session's over. And absolutely. And another thing that uh, it allows is uh, what we call non-attribution browsing, which uh, your IP location is hidden. It's similar to a VPN, but it is out of our application servers throughout the United States. So that is going to eliminate one major factor for identification for Washington, D.C. area. If you talked about geography earlier, geography is going to be determined. That takes that one factor and throws that out the window. And so they have to try to use other ways to do it. So Absolutely. So do you set up honeypots in your site and, and have people <laughs> come after you and see what's going on? Or, I mean, it would seem like a perfect opportunity for it, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, you would think so. Um, we have obviously, um, we have a lot of uh, security protocols that are in place to prevent that. But, uh, you know, honeypots is something that we definitely don't set up. What about the four-letter word? S-L-O-W. Does this slow down the whole browsing experience? Um, no, no, absolutely not. Um, what, you're, what you're getting is an encrypted display, but it is similar to um, what you would see if you were um, watching a Netflix movie. Okay, Tom, i got a question for you. About every week I uh, do a, a training session and I have uh, okay. students that tap in and I do a little one-week webinar and we talk about different topics. And uh, they all, they're accustomed to using a Chrome browser for that. They just are. Everyone sure. is. Mm -hmm. And so let's say someone over at uh, Interior, because I know those folks over there, they decide to use your system. Will that limit them from, from going to my web training? Will that limit them from doing other things at work? Or can they only do searches? Or So what kind of limitations are involved with your browser? There's absolutely no limitations whatsoever. The browser is what it is on our machine. What you know it as is on our machine. It is, what you're just receiving is an encrypted display of a browser that exists on a, uh, a separate machine. So I shouldn't have to worry about uh, just use your browser when I'm searching for, for doing a sensitive search <laughs> right. and use another one for just training or use another one for other activities. Use or, it for everything. For scheduling. Scheduling is important for me. Training right. is important for me. But also when I'm searching my electronic parts for the Air Force – I don't have to use two separate browsers for that. I could use the same one. It can be the... Absolutely. 
that has all the compatibilities of a standard browser, as it is a standard browser. It's just in a different location. Do I have my history? I can go back to browsers, uh, sites I've went to before? No, because that's one of the uh, vulnerabilities of a machine is histories, and histories are captured through cookies, and we have the ability to turn them on or off. You'd want to go back into a fresh session each time, and if you had uh, things left over, like cookies, that would be a, 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 a vulnerability. And so I can't get password stored then either. Oh, you can get password storage. Password storage is done on a separate server and is not saved in your browser. We have an encrypted uh, connection to uh, our servers where we keep passwords and usernames. Well, that's going to save a whole lot of time because I don't want to look up every time I have to know the username and password. So if I am searching for a sensitive electronic component for the Air Force and I'm going to a site and I have to use username and password, I don't have to type in every single time because the browser can store that. Yes. Well, you know, the standard browsers do store that, but that's usually stored as cookies and and, and other vulnerable uh, artifacts of the browser. Um, we don't store it in the same session. It is stored off-site in a, in, a separate, uh, in, a, in a separate server. So your solution would offer me identical capabilities with, with, with uh, better ways to store the password, I would say. Correct. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, this is the first part of a three-part interview. I think in this interview here, we kind of set the stage for the further discussion. We set the stage that everyone using a browser today is using a porous piece of software that's leaking all kinds of personal information about them, which could creep you out. However, if you're working for the federal government and you're doing searches for procuring equipment or doing some investigatory searches for fraud and abuse, you can also be tracked there. And so one solution is to consider uh, the cloud browsing option, which is part of the solution from Authenticate. I think that's a, it's a good setup for the next two uh, interviews, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you, John. So maybe we can go to the next two interviews and talk about use cases and, and here's the situation that happened and here's what we prevented happening. And, and uh, I think it's a good relief to know that uh, uh, using a browser like yours is not going to limit me as far as username and password goes. It's not going to limit me as far as speed either. I'd like to thank today's guest, Tom Kay, Federal Program Manager, Authenticate. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Your browser betrays you, even more so if you operate undercover online. It helps third parties identify and track you. To solve this, Authenticate built Silo Research Toolbox, the cloud-based research browser. With Silo Research Toolbox, OSINT analysts can spoof location, IP, device, and language. Cyber investigators can click any link, open any doc, and save any file without risk. Law enforcement officers can navigate the dark web safely and easily. Ask about a free trial at info.authentic, the numeral 8, dot com forward slash FNN.